The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, December 6th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with Dr. Brad Case. Dr. Brad Case is a holistic chiropractor, naturopath, and the clinic director of the Holistic Healing Center in Prunedale, California. He's the author of Thugs, Drugs, and the War on Bugs, How the Natural Healthcare Revolution Will Lead Us Past Greed, Ego, and Scary Germs, which is book number one in the Why We're Sick healthcare series. And he's a contributing author to 101 Great Ways to Improve Your Health. Dr. Case holds certificates in applied kinesiology, nutrition response testing, Nambudrapod's allergy elimination techniques, Bioset, total body modification, reconnective healing, botanical medicine, meridian stress assessment, and other disciplines. Our topic today, thugs, drugs, and the war on bugs. Welcome, Dr. Case. Thanks. Thank you, Terry. Dr. Case, what is the current predominant model of Western medicine? Well, they seem to be going on this uh, idea that it's, it's all of disease is caused by either germs or genetics. And uh, their responses to those two things are basically drugs or surgery. A lot of people haven't really put much thought into that idea, but uh, when you go to a medical doctor, basically you're going to probably walk out with either nothing or drugs or, or surgery being recommended. So um, that's kind of where they fit in. Either, either drugs or either nothing or worse. Um, right. Not many tools right. in the toolkit. And, uh, really, you it's not, not anything having to do with health. It's, it's having to do with crisis management um, and nothing that they do really promotes health. Right. And, and you mentioned genetics, and I know a lot of times in the autism advocacy community, that's a bone of contention because if you think everything is just hardwired and genetic, it doesn't really give you much hope. It doesn't give you empowerment. And we know from children significantly improving and recovering with uh, biomedical interventions that there is a lot of hope and there are a lot of things that we can do to restore health if health has become compromised. Right. Um, there's a whole new discipline that they call epigenetics, which says that your DNA is just a blueprint and that you know, whether or not you express those genes or those traits is, uh, depends largely on your environment, and that, that has to do with what you eat and how you think and all kinds of things. And, right, um, environmental triggers. And we know right. uh, that autism is a true epidemic and that an epidemic cannot be genetic. 
environmental right. factors, however, can influence this. We know that you know one morning, ten thousand genes just in ten thousand people didn't just wake up one morning and decide to express themselves. Right. Um, we know that something happened, and that triggers in our environment can influence the state of our health. So right. it seems like there's there is a genetic component to it, but that component has to do largely with. Uh, one's ability or inability to detoxify from certain heavy metals like uh, mercury. Right, and we're going to get in, into more about mercury a little bit later. Uh, and, you know, we know that there have been studies, uh, such as the mouse study that Boyd, Dr. Boyd Haley so often refers to, where, for example, male mice were more sensitive than female mice. However, when you throw enough mercury at anybody, you know, they're going to get sick. The potent neurotoxin. Right. So let's talk about how the uh, the state of quote unquote health care uh, in America, for example, got to the point that it's at. What are the orchestrated strategies used to marginalize so-called alternative medicine? And how do you like that term? <laughs> well, that's one of the things they used to, to marginalize us. I think is. By using that term of alternative medicine, it, it immediately brings to mind alternative to what? And, of course, they mean alternative to real medicine, their, their brand of, of medicine, um, which, as I said, is not really health care at all. Um, <clears throat> but another thing kind of along those lines is of calling names is they, they call us quacks or many other terms. And, um, of course, that term actually came originally from... Um, a description that people used for people that uh, back in the Middle Ages where people were using drugs, they, con they considered the people using drugs as quacks because many of their medicines contained quicksilver or mercury, which kind of brings us back around to that, that idea. But they do all kinds of other things, too. In the 1910 era, uh, uh, John Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie got together with the AMA, and they created what's called the Flexner Report, and uh, that was a kind of investigating all of the different medical schools and homeopathic schools, et cetera. And um, basically they <clears throat> recommended the closing of all those schools. So they were trying to wipe out their competition. So they've, they've been heavily involved in wiping out the competition since the uh, onset of the AMA. Um, other things they like to do is, on occasion, they just kill a person um, like uh, Dr. Max Gerson, who was a cancer pioneer, they had him poisoned with arsenic, killed him off. Or they just keep threatening you and, um, you know, piling on lawsuits like they have with other cancer pioneers like uh, this Dr. Brzezinski. And, um, or, to, you know, just, or, the, or in the case of uh, Royal Rife, they would um, attempt to buy the person out so that they can, you know, discredit you or just put your technology on the shelf and never have it be used. It's all kinds of different things that they like to do to keep themselves on top. Right. I heard a rumor that uh, about buying rights to a book so that it couldn't be in circulation anymore, for example. Um, well, you've just touched upon the power of language and how language is one tool used to marginalize health care advocates who are progressive, we know that in the autism advocacy community, parents are referred to as 
desperate parents rather than educated, intelligent parents. So many parents are professionals, as a matter of fact, uh, with a great amount of education. And wouldn't anyone, wouldn't any politician, for example, if they found out that their child had uh, cancer or leukemia or, or some such, wouldn't they want to find a way to uh, improve the state of that child's health and function and cure them? Wouldn't they want to do that? So Absolutely. It's totally reasonable, and parents and advocates in the autism advocacy community have educated themselves um, on you know all things science. Uh, plus, there uh, are so many credible scientific studies from uh, from very well-known institutions that come from dis- different disciplines and all back up what advocates have been saying. So you also alluded to monopolies and cartels in the response to the last question. Can you tell us, and that's in your book, to a great extent, who do you, what do you mean and who are these people? You began to talk about Rockefeller and people buying things out and gobbling up schools and such. Right. These are the thugs that I refer to in the title. So, um, you know, various uh, drug companies, for example, they all kind of conspire together to act against uh, anything that uh, competes with them. So they're, they're drug therapy. So, so they're going to, you know, always poo-poo things like uh, whatever chiropractic or nutrition and supplements and herbs and things that, that actually compete with them. Um, and, of course, the, uh, the alphabet soup organizations, the FDA, the CDC, and all of these things, the AMA, they all kind of form what, what I would consider a medical monopoly. They, can, they also control the media through all their advertising. Um, you know, the, the, uh, I was going to get into this a little later, but the, the uh, drug companies spend about $11 million a day just in advertising their drugs. So that has a large influence on what the media uh, what stories the media reports on or doesn't report on. So if I put out a press release about a something negative about a drug, but you know earlier that hour they've just played an ad for that drug, well, they're not going to want to have conflicting stories, so they just don't run that story. Right. I found it really curious, too, how you said that back in the day, uh, quacks were so named because of their use of mercury, quicksilver, but and that was a way to marginalize those folks. And now it seems to be a, a perfectly acceptable thing to do in the in the uh, eyes of some regulatory bottle, bodies. It seems to be a perfectly acceptable thing to do to inject it into uh, little itty bitty babies. And yeah. uh, so it seems like. They call us quacks whenever it suits them, with you know just arbitrary reasoning. It's yeah, total hypocrisy because they are truly the quacks. They they do very little to heal people. They they do save lives um, on occasion. You know, again, it's a crisis management or disease um, management. Um, but uh, they they I mean, what can you, what can you name that a medical doctor does that actually promotes health? Um, you know, antibiotics are the closest thing you can really say to that. And, uh, you know, those are truly a, a wonder drug, which they've completely overused and, you know, nearly um, nearly made them ineffective in this day and age, only 60 years or so since their beginning. And honestly, if you look at what, where 
antibiotics or penicillin comes from, it's really kind of an herbal extract. It comes from a mold. So it's a natural, it was a natural product, at least the penicillin was. Um, so their biggest success of their 150 plus year, uh, you know, paradigm or career is really uh, this penicillin, which is a, a kind of a natural product. So, um, and, and yet they poo-poo nature all, all over the place. So uh, it's really hypocrisy uh, left and right there. And there seems to be a checkered past with that, too, which readers can read about in your book. It's really quite interesting. So before we go to break, please share some of the interventions that have been suppressed by mainstream medicine. I know that homeopathy, they attempt to suppress homeopathy, and they actually got some of what they're doing. You know, they stole some of the ideas from homeopathy, and mm-hmm. they try to suppress it. Yeah, so there's been many that they have... Uh suppressed or, you know, done away with altogether, homeopathy being uh, one of the first ones, um, osteopathy being another early one, chiropractic, they really tried tried their darndest to uh, get rid of us. Um, herbalism was also, uh, you know, kind of the first medicine, really, um, but they have uh, done their best to suppress that. Naturopathy, and then several of these other cancer therapies like Gerson, Hoxie, Brzezinski, Kelly, um, one called Alberin, and even just nutrition. I mean, up until very recently, they were still coming out, the AMA was coming out saying that there's, you know, literally no uh, indication that what a person eats might have anything to do with their health. Oh, my goodness. Ridiculousness, yes. We will pick up with that when we come back from break. Thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth. We'll be right back with Dr. Brad Case here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Brad Case, 
and we're talking about his book, Thugs, Drugs, and the War on Bugs. And uh, the website is www.thugsdrugsandthewaronbugs.com. I found the book to be very engaging and uh, succinct uh, to provide a lot of really useful information. Dr. Case, you have another website as well, do you not? I do. Uh, the, my main website, which uh, has all kinds of other stuff besides just information about my book, is called healthisnatural.com. And there you can find um, some of the other things we'll be talking about, I guess, later on, uh, something called the 20 Steps to Perfect Health and the Seven Causes for All Disease and the, the diet that I recommend and so on and so forth. Before the break, we started to talk about some nutritional issues and did you want to pick up with that? Um, no, I think we covered it pretty well. You know, it's that uh, the AMA just, uh, they've, they've never really believed that nutrition had much of anything to do with your health. And, um, and, in, uh, in fact, there's been a move through Codex for years. We've been under the threat right. of having restrictions to dietary supplements. Right. And that right. also disempowers... Uh, citizens from being able to take control of their own health and, main, you know, sustain their own health. Right. People in Europe have already lost a great deal of their freedom and ability to buy herbs and supplements, and uh, it seems that the powers that be here are never going to be satisfied until they have that uh, that uh, restriction over here as well. Um, and back in the 90s, we, we created the, uh, the Shia Act, uh, which... Uh, gave gave us a little more freedom and ability to uh, continue doing so, but now they're going around back doors and um, still trying really hard to uh, keep people from getting their supplements. Right, and this ties in with autism in a couple of ways, in case listeners are wondering. First of all, a lot of children who have the diagnostic label of autism uh, improve greatly in part due to uh, diet and nutritional supplementation. And so we need to maintain access to high-quality dietary supplements that are such as those that are currently available from some sources. And the other thing is is that the politics that are trying to restrict citizens' access to dietary supplements and sustain their health uh, are the same forces that are involved with some other things that contributed to the autism epidemic. Do you want to expand upon any of that? Well, yeah, they're they're attacking not only the supplements, but also just our ability to get uh, good food. Um, one of my friends calls the FDA the uh, Fraud and Death Administration because they're, it seems like almost everything that they're doing nowadays is promoting the opposite of health. Um, you know, they... they uh, Tried to pass, or I guess they did pass this food and food and safety act uh, last year, uh, food modernization safety act last year, um, which basically tries to make organic farming virtually impossible to do. Um, they're always expanding upon the genetically modified organisms and and uh, keeping keeping our ability to even know what foods contain GMOs uh, from us. So it's, it's harder and harder and harder. It's, it's almost impossible for the average person to find decent food 
let alone get supplements. So, um, yeah, it's so overwhelming. Every level. It's- as soon as you hear that there's going to be a blue skies act, you just can can tell that the air is going to get funky. So, Double speak, yeah. Yeah. So, what historical precedents do we have for particular progressive scientists being vilified? Well, some of them we mentioned already. There's this Royal Rife, uh, this uh, Harry Hoxie, and uh, Dr. Max Gerson. They are, they were all cancer pioneers who have been suppressed. Also, this Dr. Brzezinski. Um, the um, you know, going back further, if you look at uh, Galileo, Copernicus, and Bruno, they were all imprisoned or, and or killed for the, you know, coming up with this uh, crazy idea that the planets revolve around the sun other, rather than the other way around. Um, there was a doctor, Ignaz Semmelweis, who was a medical doctor, uh, who proposed the wild idea of washing your hands between patients, and he was basically drummed out of his profession and driven insane, in fact, um, before, this was before the, uh, the germ theory was uh, in vogue. But once it did come in vogue, then they finally realized that he was right, and, uh, you know, but he was dead by then. So, so they kind of have this long history of <clears throat> um, refusal to change, refusal to accept anything new, um, and especially if that has anything to, to do with... Uh, you know, suppressing or, you know, going against their drug theory. And what about the politics of clinical trials and the politics of peer review? Well, again, it's all kind of stacked against a person that's, that's trying to come up with some new theory or new idea. If, he, if you discover something that goes a, completely against the grain rather than just progressing the grain that they've already been going down, um, that person, you know, probably they won't get their uh, their study published at all. And if they're uh, at all unlucky, they might be drummed out of their profession. We've seen this in, in the case of uh, lots of studies having to do with AIDS, indications that AIDS are not actually, AIDS is not actually caused by HIV, for example. You know, studies that show that don't get published because it goes completely against what the, you know, whatever the mainstream has started to go, you know, if you're going against the flow, then you're likely to not get published. That's not where people get Nobel Prizes and so forth. People get Nobel Prizes for advancing things uh, along the direction it's already going, you know, uh, another leap. So, so yeah, it's, it's, go ahead. We've talked about, uh, we, we've talked about suppression of good health measures. What does iatrogenic mean, though, and how does this happen in Western, quote-unquote, health care? For example, where does the U.S. rank insofar as health care? Mm-hmm. Iatrogenic basically means doctor-caused. And so in my book, we talk about a lot of uh, doctor-caused deaths. And uh, a few examples of that would be um, that the JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, came out with a study in, I think it was 1998, that showed that 106,000 people every year die from what they call properly prescribed drugs. And this just included the people that were given these drugs in the hospital. It didn't include nursing homes or outpatients or over-the-counter or anything. And these were not um, overdoses or drug errors. These were properly prescribed drugs. So that makes just that one statistic makes Western medicine the number four leading cause of death in the world. Now, if you look at... um, 
Other things, there's the drug errors, about 7,000 per year die. Surgical errors, about 32,000 people die. Um, infections in the hospital that they acquired in the hospital, 100,000 people die. Oh you put this all together, and um, JAMA, again, came up with a study a few years later, and they said that they estimated that about 280,000 people die from all causes of iatrogenesis. But they further stated in that same journal that they thought that probably only constituted about 5% of the real problem. In other words, 95% is not there. Um, just that 280,000 people a year dying from that, that's the equivalent of 750 jumbo jets falling out of the sky every year and killing everyone on board. That's 62.5 jets per month. But um, that, that still isn't really the whole number. As I said, uh, JAMA said that's probably only 5%. So Gary Null and the, several of his cohorts got together, and they looked at all these different causes, and the number they came up with, which is probably a more realistic number, is 784,000 people dying every year from, from seeing their doctor. Oh, my goodness. These are not accidental deaths. These are not people that died um, despite their doctor's efforts. These are people that died because of their doctor's efforts. And if you, look, if you take that number and compare it with all other single-cause diseases, like cancer and heart disease being the number one and two normally, you see that Western medicine actually kills more than either one of those. And so then if you, you know, if you try to get compensation um, because now the family's, you know, missing daddy or something because daddy's gone, you know, and you try to get compensation, then you're marginalized by be being called litigious. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it sounds like you have to be in an absolutely stellar health if you want to go to the hospital. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, hospitals, if just looking at hospitals by themselves, they're the third leading cause of death. So, yeah, you want to try to avoid hospitals at all, at all costs. So, you know, prevention, of course, is what we always talk about in natural health, and, and uh, you know, a little later on we can get into some of my ideas about how to prevent illness. But, um, yeah, you want to stay away. I haven't seen a medical doctor myself um, since 1985. But good for you. Good for you. Well, I, I enjoyed your book, Thugs, Drugs, and the War on Bugs, and I get the thugs. I get the drugs. But I have a question about the bugs. Does mainstream medicine still believe that the bugs and their threats are all real, or is this concept ever used for other purposes? I don't know what they really believe, but um, they're using the concept of, of bugs or germs um, in order to sell their their wares. Their, so they sell, use it to sell vaccines and antibiotics and, and then, of course, antibacterial soaps. And, you know, you go almost anywhere now in, in a public arena and you see these little um, antibacterial hand dispenser gel things um, all over the place. So these, you know, they use this fear. Fear is a very good motivator, and they use that fear to motivate people to buy their their drugs. Right. Now, before we go to break, you mentioned germ theory earlier. Can you contrast that with the condition of our body's terrain and let listeners know about pleomorphism? Sure, sure. You know, that we could probably spend a whole hour just on that one question if we wanted to, but um, there are, you know, there are several doctors or, or um, scientists, I guess, 
in the in our past. There's a, a man in France called uh, Antoine Bechamp. There's Royal Rife we've mentioned, and then there's a guy in Canada still alive named Gaston Nassens. And there's several others, actually. They've all independently discovered this idea that it's not that germs cause disease. It's actually the other way around. When you are diseased and when you have toxins in your tissue or the tissues are weak because of lack of nutrition or whatever, um, germs move in to try to help clean up the mess, basically. And so that you see that disease causes germs. You see this association with germs and disease and the, the mainstream ideas that one causes the other. Well, it's, it's the opposite of what they actually uh, declare. Okay, and we're going to talk a little bit more about pleomorphism when we come back. It's one of the most interesting chapters in Dr. Case's book, Thugs, Drugs, and the War on Bugs. We will be right back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On mind, brain, and body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Brad Case, and we're talking about his book, Thugs, Drugs, and the War on Bugs, and that website is www.thugsdrugsandthewaronbugs.com. Before the break, we were beginning to talk about pleomorphism, and that's like the most important concept in this book. We really want people to pick up a copy of the book to read that chapter in addition to all of the other really interesting, important, and engaging information in this book. And Dr. Case, I had heard something about something called cell wall deficient bacteria. Like, say, someone has a urinary tract infection and they take an antibiotic and it changes the cell wall of the bacteria and then when they go into retest and see if it's the bacteria is still there, they can't recognize it because it's morphed. Is that true? Does that have anything to do with pleomorphism? Yeah, yeah. Um... It's very interesting. You know, most scientists that have, that are microbiologists, I guess, uh, that study these germs look at dead germs. You know, the, the, using a light microscope, you have to, you take a, a germ and you smear it on a slide and, and then you um, run it over a 
flame and you put some stain on there and then you can see you know it gives you some contrast and you can actually see the bug on the slide um, but what these scientists I mentioned before the break did is they developed another way of looking at these germs and you know using like a plain polarized light or what have you they, they can see these germs when they're in their living form and <clears throat> that changes everything I mean you know if you're just studying germ carcasses you don't have the opportunity to see a, a, a germ morph or change under your microscope or before your very eyes there. And that's what these scientists actually did. They would change the terrain or the, you know, give the, the germs a different kind of food to eat. And they would literally change from, you know, say a round cocci bacteria to a rod-shaped bacillus bacteria and then give them another kind of food to eat and they'd become a spirochete or a, you know, even a virus. They literally change from species to species. And um, so that's what you see in your body. We have these things called uh, microzyma or somatids, they go by different names, that are normal and healthy and supposed to be there and help your cells to divide and so on. Um, but if you become toxic or sick from, for any reason, then you start to create different kinds of germs. One thing that bacteria do in nature is they turn <clears throat> unviable tissue or dead and diseased tissue back into soil. They are the ultimate recyclers on our planet. And, uh, you know, a, a bird dies and drops dead on the ground, and bacteria that are within that bird engulf the bird and turn it back into dirt. So <clears throat> that's what's happening on a smaller scale when you get a sore throat, for example. You got germs there, but the germs didn't cause the sore throat. The germs are trying to clear it up. So that's the idea of pleomorphism. Okay. So we've touched upon antibiotics. Do you think they're good or bad? Ever useful? More destructive than not? Well, they're very useful when they're needed. You know, antibiotics are needed for severe bacterial infection that your body just cannot handle. Um, I said last time I went to a medical doctor, it was 1985, I went there for walking pneumonia, I had a severe bacterial infection, I got some penicillin, a couple of days later I was all, you know, right as rain. Um, what people need to understand is, first of all, antibiotics don't do anything for viral conditions, which are colds and flus and things like that. Um, and even if you do take them for the right reasons, they also kill off the normal flora, the the uh, good bacteria that are supposed to be present in your gut in a huge quantity. You're supposed to have about four to six pounds of this stuff in your, in your gut, which translates into about twice as many cells, twice as many bacteria as you have cells in your body. So, <clears throat> so in order, if you're going to kill off all these good, healthy things, you need to replenish them with the normal flora, the acidophilus and the bifidus and, and these probiotics. So, Use antibiotics when you absolutely have to, and then do probiotics afterwards. Mm -hmm. yeah, probiotics are very important in general for maintaining health. And, and again, I want to applaud you for um, supporting your own body's health to the point where you haven't needed to be at the doctor since 1985. Um, we, we know a lot of doctors in this community who we respect greatly, and what I was applauding earlier was, was your ability to maintain your own health and keep yourself healthy. Um, we should all be taking an active part in that. So on that note, 
why not just help people support their own body's mechanisms to be healthy? With all the research and development dollars allegedly spent, why don't why don't drug companies do that? Do drug companies really end up making money on drugs and vaccines? Um, obviously, they do. They they are the most profitable companies on the planet. In fact, they the top ten drug companies in the Fortune 500 make more than the the next 490 companies, the other 490 companies combined. So they're obviously doing well with with what they're doing. And you know what I'm what I'm promoting, what you mentioned there first, the supporting your own your own mechanisms, that's healthcare. That's real healthcare. But as I said several times now, that what they do is not really healthcare. So, um, yeah, their, their, their dollars, they spend, um, as I said, about $11 million a day uh, doing marketing. So that if you take the whole drug companies, all the drug companies together, they spend about $54 billion a year on, on their marketing. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> like to complain that they're spending all this money on research and development. That's why their drugs are so, so expensive. In reality, they spend twice as much on marketing as they do on research and development. Um, they also spend about $9 billion a year on their administration, which includes the insane uh, bonuses that go to their CEOs, like this, the CEO of Bristol-Myers Squibb made a $75 million bonus in 2001. So <clears throat> people are these drug companies, they're doing okay. And of course, all the marketing and all the research and development, everything is transmitted on to us or, uh, in the form of higher drug costs. Yeah. And you'd think we would just be healthier, you know, with all those drugs. But according <laughs> to a 2011 academic pediatrics report, quote, an estimated 43% of U.S. children, 32 million, currently have at least one of 20 chronic health conditions assessed, increasing to 54.1% when overweight, obesity, or being at risk for developmental delays are included. So let's talk about this. Dr. Case, why are so many kids sick, and what do you think autism is? Well, the reasons that we're all sick are um, pretty much the same. You know, there are what I have found in my years of practice and studying, researching, is that there's really only seven things that cause all the diseases. And, and I'll just briefly mention these are, are toxins, malnutrition, there's trauma, there's the germs that we've discussed, pathogens, there's hormonal imbalances, there's emotional and psychological issues, and there's what I call toxic energy, which has to do with like radiation and cell phones and all those kinds of more minor issues. So those are the things that cause illness. Um, so obviously we, nobody has a drug deficiency. That's not one of the problems. Um, so why are people sick? Well, those are the reasons that people are sick. What is autism? In my opinion, autism is largely, as we said, partly, small part is a genetic condition. Now, I didn't mention genetics as one of the causes of disease because Genetics is one of these seven problems happened a couple generations ago. So grandpa had a malnutrition issue, and it passed that on in the form of, you know, bad DNA or whatever, or he, he was exposed to radiation in the war or something, you know, and, you know, whatever. So that was transmitted on, and now you've got this genetic condition. Well, if your genetic condition happens to be that you can't get rid of toxins, 
and then we inject, uh, you know, 80 times more toxins than what your body is able to handle, then something's going to happen. In the case of autism, when we inject tons and tons of mercury into these kids starting on the first day of their, of their life on this planet and then continually assault them every couple months with another round of, of uh, either mercury-containing vaccines or aluminum or formaldehyde or just merely dead viruses or genetically modified viruses, then your immune system starts to not work right and you get all these toxins that go to your brain. This has been proven that mercury can cross the blood-brain barrier. It can also cross, cross the placental barrier. So if the mother has, let's say, mercury in her teeth, she has the silver fillings in her teeth, which are about half mercury, that's going to cross the placenta. If she has a, an RH issue with her fetus, she's going to get some of that. So that also is going to cross. Uh, she's going to get the, the, what they call a Rogam shot. That contains mercury. That can cross the placenta. So by the time the, the kid's born, he's already been hit with several rounds of mercury. Then they give them the hepatitis B and the DPT, and then they start giving them flu shots every year and on and on. This is all going to cross the blood-brain barrier and start to accumulate in that kid's brain. That is basically what causes autism. Yeah, I like how you went back some generations because for all the genetic research that's being done now, uh, a lot of people aren't going back and saying, well, what may have happened to mom, you know, back in the 1950s? Did mom get a, a vaccine that contained Marisol when it was relatively new to the scene? Mm-hmm. And how did that influence future generations? You know, and you were talking about grandpa's malnutrition and things like that. So, you know, genetic isn't as cut and dried as they'd like us to believe. You know, Not at all. To, right. Okay, so we are going to take a break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll be back with Dr. Brad Kaysen. Please remind us about your websites. Uh, the main website is healthisnatural.com, and that's where I have this the seven causes of disease I just mentioned, as well as 20 steps to perfect health that people can do to uh, actually promote health. All right, and thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health & Wellness. Radio, dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Brad Case talking about his book, Thugs, Drugs, and the War on Bugs. And we've started talking about autism and so many kids being sick. Um, and uh, you've described autism, Dr. Case, as you know, being a diagnostic label where, you know, the child got pelted with toxins that really threw a monkey wrench into their immune system and I would say their endocrine and other systems as well. What interventions can help the real underlying physiological conditions of autism? Well, obviously, if you can, you want to prevent that. You want to prevent autism and that would be by, you know, either completely avoiding the vaccines or getting the mercury-free vaccines or putting the vaccination off as long as possible. Those are all things that I'm, I talk about in the book. But if it's too late, now your child has autism, then um, obviously I, my, my approach is always to address the cause of the problem. Um, so if the cause is toxicity of mercury, then you want to try to get the mercury out. Now there are some dangers with doing that, so you want to do it very carefully and very slowly. And I don't recommend going right for intravenous chelation, but oral chelation can be helpful. Um, and I would always strongly suggest that people do this with a, with a doctor that knows what they're doing. The, the Dan doctors, for example, are, uh, they know what they're doing. So under care of a physician. Um, other things that you can do probably on your own would be the uh, casein-free and the gluten-free diet, which is basically keeping your kid off of uh, wheat and dairy and other things that contain gluten as well. Um, providing good essential fatty acids. You know, your brain is largely fat and, and runs on fat and needs fat. So making sure that you have plenty of the good essential fatty acids, so fish oils and flax oils and things like that that feed the brain. Um, hyperbaric oxygen treatments are also helpful. They they kind of force oxygen into the tissues, and that can sometimes wake up nerve cells that have been dormant or, you know, sleeping. Uh, um, so there are places you can probably find on the Internet that will uh, provide you with this hyperbaric oxygen. Um, uh, infrared sauna also is supposed to be very good for this. And um, Another thing I would add is that, you know, trying to avoid anything that, the, that you know the child is allergic to and um, or also there's a, an allergy elimination technique that works really well. The, the one you mentioned, a couple you mentioned with my certificates, the Nambudrapaz allergy elimination technique and BioSet. Those are two really powerful techniques that haven't gotten a lot of uh, mainstream press, but they work really well. In fact, I'll just throw this out. I used to be deathly allergic to cats myself, and um, now I have a cat that sleeps with me. So uh, through the treatment, you can, you can actually make yourself not allergic to things. So all these things can help uh, to uh, you know, help bring the child's brains back to working properly. Right, and we know lots of kids who have recovered. Um, and if anyone's talking to somebody about vaccines and and um, the other person says that mercury has been removed from uh, childhood vaccines. That's not completely the case. Um, there are still vaccines that contain mercury, and um, we're not 
recommending the flu shot for anybody. For example, I interviewed someone uh, just a few weeks ago, a, a woman, Deb Katrin, who was paralyzed by her flu vaccine, if people want to go back in the archives and listen to that. But there, um, there is still mercury in some shots, and um, we know that when mercury was reduced in vaccines, aluminum went up. So it's not the only issue with vaccines. Dr. Mm-hmm. Case also mentioned other viruses and other ingredients as well. Sherry Tenpenny was on recently and even mentioned latex um, being in the vaccines. Mm-hmm. So um, All kinds of toxins in there, yeah. Dr. Case, why wouldn't governmental agencies be running to assess, establish, and address the real physiological issues underlying an autism diagnosis? Well, because they caused it. It's, it's a massive cover-up. You know, the CDC uh, has, has been the one to recommend all these additional vaccines every year. You know, it's almost every year we see another couple vaccines coming on the, on the scene, and, and as soon as they come on the scene, then the CDC recommends them and then they become mandated to get into school and so forth. So the government is complicit in this. The FDA has been, as I say in the book, asleep at the switch for years. They've, they're the ones that are supposed to be protecting us from dangerous drugs, and they just didn't even bother testing thimerosal um, ever. Uh, and, you know, it took them years and years and years. I gave it a long, lengthy timeline in my book that describes how far back they've known about this. They really have known probably since, you know, 1929 or 1931 at the, at the earliest, but um, there's been dozens of <clears throat> times where they have found out, you know, it's been brought to their attention and they've ignored it and they've ignored it and they've ignored it over and over again. In fact, down um, in uh, 2000, there was a, a researcher named Tom Verstraten who <clears throat> was uh, – put in charge of looking into this whole autism issues, the CDC said, hey, you know, look at the data that we've got and find out, has this actually, is, this, is there actually a connection? And what he found was there was a huge connection, an undeniable connection. And so they held this meeting and uh, the CDC and the FDA and the World Health Organization and all the major drug companies were there. And he came out and he said, yes, there is a connection. Uh, and... Uh, they spent the rest of that weekend trying to figure out how they were going to cover up this this horrible mess that they'd created, this autism epidemic. Um, so they just would rather it not get out to the public at all. And there's literally dozens of of situations. You know, uh, 1929 they knew it wasn't safe. In 1935, Eli Lilly got a, a mention from a veterinary. Uh, vaccine maker that said that when they injected the thimerosal-containing vaccines to dogs, it made them sick. Um, in World War II, the Department of Defense forced Eli Lilly to put the, a poison label on their vaccines that contained thimerosal. Oh, my goodness. And tell us about Stratera. Um, Stratera is, the, is one of the drugs that they use to treat it, and, of course, it's, it's made by Eli Lilly, and Eli Lilly is the one, one of the main manufacturers of thimerosal, or they were. So they've basically created a market for a new drug that they have. And Dr. Case, since, uh, since we'll be closing the program soon, I'd like to share with listeners about the paper and Pace Environmental Law Review 
and that was a 2011 paper in the peer-reviewed journal Pace Environmental Law Review, where we read that the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, which was established in 1986, has compensated approximately 2,500 claims of vaccine injury since the inception of the program. The study found 83 cases of acknowledged vaccine-induced brain damage that include autism. In 21 published cases of the Court of Federal Claims, which administers the VICP, the court stated that the petitioners had autism or described autism unambiguously. In 62 remaining cases, the authors identified settlement agreements where Health and Human Services compensated children with vaccine-induced brain damage who also have autism or an autism spectrum disorder. So, Dr. Case, do you think that regulators knew, should have known, should have admitted that mercury, MMR, other vaccine components could have been a problem at any point, and do we know how many more vaccines are in the pipeline? Clearly, they've known for a very long time. As, I, as I've started saying, was, you know, back as far as 1935, Eli Lilly started getting the indications, and uh, very clearly since the early 1990s, uh, and then, you know, especially even more clearly in the late 1990s, it was very, very obvious. They, they knew, basically, and by 2000, they admitted that they knew. Um, they didn't admit publicly, but we, uh, the, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the autism websites got through the Freedom of Information Act. They got the actual uh, minutes of that meeting where they admitted that they knew. So they've known for years. And they've um, compensated cases. Yet they've said right, that it's not right. connected so they, to autism. Exactly. They, they, so it's it's clear that it that it is, and yet they're still coming out, you know, in mainstream news articles stay, stating that there's no connection. It's just it blows me away whenever I see that because there's a mountain. There are mountains of evidence uh, indicating this. And that's illuminated in your book, which we recommend to people. Thugs, Drugs, and the War on Bugs, Thugs, Drugs, and the War on Bugs.com. Dr. Case, do you have any additional take-home messages and ways that people can stay healthy during the holiday and winter season? Um, yeah, go to my website, the healthisnatural.com. We've got the, the 20 steps to perfect health there. Um, these are all things that people can do, such as uh, you know, taking whole food supplements, um, eating a natural foods diet. I have a diet on my, on my website. Uh, taking fatty acids, hydrating your body, avoiding toxins, doing detoxifications, and um, all kinds of things that are help- helpful. This is also, this 20 steps is also in the book, but uh, I make it available for free on my website. And uh, there's lots of information there. It's, it's a jam-packed website, so that's a good place to get started. I also have a, uh, a free ebook on there that's called Guidelines for Healthy Living, and uh, all you have to do is give me your name and email, and we'll email you that, that book. It's a 40-page ebook that gives you kind of the common-sense approach to getting healthy. Well, uh, listeners can pick up a copy of your book, and they can read it at home uh, while they're avoiding driving near the hospital. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Dr. Case, I want to thank you for illuminating the politics that keep us sick and the pathways that make us better. Thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you, Terry. My guest next week is Jerry Brewster on the topic of Nambudrapod's allergy elimination techniques. 
So that will be a good follow-up. Don't forget to pick up a copy of Autism Science Digest at your local bookstore or on special holiday subscription at www.autism1.org. Dr. Case's book is there, too, or on Amazon.com. Thank you to this program's sponsor, OxyHealth, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.